Welcome to Crossroads, the broadcast ministry of Montgomery's First Baptist Church, where you can discover God's personal plan and power to conquer your problems through Jesus Christ. Join us now as God's Word heals, encourages, and enlightens your spiritual life. Come with me over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And if you'll start with me in verse 14 in a moment, we will hear God's living word for this moment. Uh, on Friday, it was Valentine's Day. and I've always enjoyed Valentine's Day. Uh, it's been a wonderful time to express love to the people around you. I would generally write Mary Ruth some sort of a Valentine's poem, something that's you know, very endearing, like um, roses are red, violets are pink. Mary Ruth, I love you because you rarely stink. I mean, you know, something that's really touching and deep and, and profound. Those are the kind of things that I generally offer to her. Uh, but maybe you had a really spectacular Valentine's gift given to you. I would be interested to know what you got for Valentine's Day. We happened to be with my daughter, and uh, this is Sarah, and she made Valentine's Love edible. As a matter of fact, this is my glory girl, and Sarah made, along with Mary's help, Valentine-shaped pancakes. Does that make anybody hungry? With some big, thick bacon and eggs and maple syrup on top of it. Oh, yeah, that was good. That was love made edible. Now, it could be that your Valentine's expression was something fancy or edible or tangible, but in just a moment, here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand that we are going to make Valentine's very tangible in a way. I, I want you to imagine that these elements, the bread and the cup, they become God's Valentine to you. Maybe the bread is God's Valentine to you, and the cup is your Valentine to Him. And I'll explain that further. But you hold that in your mind because I want to dial you into where we get the tradition of expressing our love and appreciation at Valentine. As a matter of fact, there's a legend about a man named Valentine. He was a follower of Jesus who lived in 270 A.D. The Roman emperor was named Claudius II. Now, Claudius II was a brutal and vicious man. The way they held the Roman Empire together was making all of the subjects, by force of law, worship Roman gods and even the emperor. And if you defied that law, if you committed civil disobedience, you were standing on the edge of destruction. Well, Valentine heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He became a follower of the Lord, and he would not turn his back on the Lord Jesus, and he was condemned to die. His execution date was set. The jailer took Valentine, and he held him in his jail, but he was impressed with the man's graciousness and his kindness. The jailer had a 10-year-old daughter named Julia. She had been born blind, but she had a quick and active mind, a loving heart. So the jailer took Julia to see Valentine, hoping that this wise and kind man would become her teacher for a few days. Well, certainly he was glad to do it. He started reading to her. He told her about Roman history. He taught her mathematics. And then he told her about Jesus. And this young girl, she opened her heart to the Lord. And by God's miraculous grace, she not only opened her heart, but the story goes that her eyes were opened. 
And for the first time in her life, she was able to see. Well, on the night before his execution, Valentine wrote this young lady, Julia, a note. And he signed it with love from your Valentine. On the next day, which happened to be February the 14th of 270 A.D., he was executed. As a matter of fact, if you go to the city of Rome, in one of the great church graveyards, you can still find his marker and his monument. But this is the origin. This is what made us develop this concept of giving each other expressions of love and affirmation during Valentine's Day. Oh, it's a beautiful season to do that. And, and I just want to urge you to understand that in just a few moments, as we take the cup, as we take the bread, there's a link to Valentine's Day, but I want to link it right now to the Word of God. In 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, let's learn together because this is what love really looks like. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Look at verse 16. It's the heart of the matter. We know love by this. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us love with word. Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Now, in just a moment, we will make love tangible as we take the elements of the Lord's Supper. But let me uh, share with you a story that I discovered that brings this passage to life. The story is about a man named Norbert Reinhardt. Norbert Reinhardt was an interesting fella. This is his picture with his wife, Casey. And here's the story. Norbert is a Canadian. He was from Toronto. He had a mining company. And several years ago, he contracted with some geological explorers down in Colombia in South America. He'd gone down to Colombia, and he set up an operation, and he sent his chief foreman, a man named Ed Spence, 60 years old, to go and run the operation. Well, at that time in Colombia, there was a great deal of political instability, and Ed Spence had only been there a week when he was kidnapped. He was kidnapped by a liberation force, and they had kidnapped in that one year, over 2,000 people, 47 foreigners, and they were holding them for ransom. They were hostages. So the word came back to Norbert Reinhardt that his friend Ed Spence had been kidnapped. Now, Norbert had made a promise that he would take care of his workers down in that unsure environment. They started a hostage negotiation process. It went on for about three weeks. It led to nothing. They had an extraordinary amount that they were demanding, and there was no leeway. So Norbert Reinhardt did something that's pretty hard to imagine, but here's what he did. He said, I made a promise to Ed. I'm going to go get him. He told his wife, Casey, and they have two daughters, Robin, age seven, and little Molly, age two, that I've got to go. She protested. She said, honey, you can't leave me. You can't leave the children. He said, I made a sacred promise. He took his backpack, and he packed in his backpack some books, a Bible, a camera, 
and $100,000. And he said, I'll see you soon. I'm going to go get Ed. He got on a plane, and he flew down to South America. He went to Columbia. He went to the place where Ed had been kidnapped, and soon he encountered these guerrilla rebels. They took him into custody. He talked to them. He appealed to them. He said, I want to ransom my friend. And amazingly, they agreed. They were stunned by this man's courage. And Ed said, when Norbert Reinhardt shook his hand as he departed, he said, Ed, your shift is over. My brother, you can go home. He went home. The world was watching. This was international news. And then an amazing thing happened. Two months passed, three months passed, 94 days passed, and suddenly, almost inexplicably, they let Norbert Reinhardt go. And he came back to a hero's welcome. You see, to me, this depicts what Jesus has done on our behalf. The Scripture tells us that we, like Ed Spence, were being held hostage. Let me string together three Scriptures that are like three gorgeous diamonds on a necklace of theology. The first diamond is Mark 10.45. That diamond says, Jesus speaking, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The concept of ransom is we are held hostage. The evil one has us in his captivity, and we need a hero. We need a rescuer, somebody like Norbert Reinhardt. And that somebody is none other than Jesus who left the safety of heaven, and he came to make an extraction. But there's another scripture that is so important for you to understand. You see, what else did Jesus do? Jesus not only gave himself, but he demonstrated his great love for us in Romans 5, 8. It's like a diamond shining in the center of the necklace. It says that God demonstrates his great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He was motivated by love. And the third diamond is 2 Corinthians 5.21. What does it say? He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we could be made right with God. It was as if on the cross, God took my sin, God took your sin. Everything you've ever done wrong or thought or failed to do, and he poured it on his sinless, infinite son, and he absorbed your sin. And in that transaction, you become right with God, your holy heavenly Father. Do you see the necklace? Do you receive it? Will you wear it? You see, in just the next few moments, here's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on Jesus who laid down his life for us. And we want to hear a calling for us to lay down our lives for others. Right now, I want to invite Douglas and Dave, our deacons, to uncover this table because the deacons of this church are our servants, and they've come here to beautifully service this sacred symbolic meal that focuses on what Jesus has done on your behalf. In just a moment, we'll take the bread. I'll call it the bread of blessing. It's almost as if God sent you a Valentine's in that bread. That's how I want you to see it. And then we'll take the cup, this cup of commitment that is your opportunity to say, Lord Jesus, I'm all in. I want to be your servant. I want to give myself to others as you gave yourself to me. Now, the scripture was read a little bit ago by Isabella, and it was a call to prepare our hearts. 
to receive these sacred symbols. So let's now pray together. Dear Father, uh, we come very intentionally into your presence. We ask that you cleanse us, forgive us. Help us to come to full spiritual attention and focus completely upon you. If there's anything in our life that doesn't look like you, if there's an attitude, an action, a relationship, a propensity to a reaction that does not bring honor and glory to your name but brings shame, Father, rid us of it. Pluck it out like a weed. Throw it away like stale, filthy trash. We don't want it, Lord. Cleanse us right now by your mercy and your grace and prepare us to take the bread and the cup. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And they took the bread.
Jesus had gathered the disciples into the upper room, and they were going to have one last meeting, a debriefing, so to speak. He was going to underline for a final time his purpose and their calling. He'd come to save humanity by the giving of his life's blood, and he called them to be his soldiers in this sacred task of sharing the gospel with the world. Of course, the Passover was occurring in Jerusalem. You could hear the lambs bleating that would be sacrificed later. And Jesus compared himself to the sacrificial lamb, and then he took the elements of the Passover meal, the unleavened bread, the cup, and and he said, this bread from now on, make it a memory device. And every time you touch the bread, you should be reminded of what I am doing for you. Here's what I'd suggest to you. This is a tactile opportunity. You can feel the bread. It's tangible. Imagine the bread has written on it like a Valentine's charm, one of those sweet tart Valentines, I love you. But imagine it's John three sixteen. Imagine God has sent you this piece of bread that says, I love you so much that I've given my only son. And if you'll simply believe in me and trust me, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. This is God's pure message to your heart. Remember what Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who takes of that bread will never die. And they took the bread. And Jesus took the cup, the Passover cup, and he made a similar shift in the symbolism. He said, this blood is now the new covenant. A covenant is a contract. And he said, my blood will be shed on your behalf. If you read the book of Hebrews, we learn that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. You see, life is in the blood, and our sin debt is paid with the sacrifice of the lamb. But this is not any lamb. This is the holy, sacred Son of God, the Lamb of God that came to take the sin of the world. And Jesus is saying, when I shed my blood, I'm doing it for you to set you free. You'll no longer be a hostage. I'm going to take your place. Now, if this is the bread of blessing, God's expression of love to you, let the cup become the cup of commitment. Imagine that this cup is an inkwell. And imagine that you're dipping the pen of your will down into this well. And you are making a sacred agreement with the Lord that says, I am committed to serving you by living love every day. And they took the cup.
After Jesus had taken the bread and the cup, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And we remember all that Jesus has done on our behalf. It's humbling, it's overwhelming, it's compelling. It should motivate us to give our highest and most and best to him, knowing that he gave his highest and most and best for you. Remember 1 John 3, verse 16. We know what love looks like because Jesus gave himself for us. So we should give ourselves for one another. Would you allow this cup to represent your commitment? Would you allow this cup to represent your resolve? It says, Lord Jesus, because you've loved me, I will live for you and I will give for you. And they took the cup. Thank you for sharing worship with us. We trust God has used this broadcast for your spiritual growth and encouragement. If this ministry has touched your life, please let us know. If you'd like to share in the cost of this broadcast, you may send your gifts and support to First Baptist Church. Your partnership with us will help strengthen and extend this ministry and will be greatly appreciated. And remember, when you are at the crossroads, follow Christ.